0: what did Jesus mean? This is a timeless question asked for generations. Even the disciples asked this very question. What if we told you that asking this question is a key aspect to the Christian walk? Let's talk about that today on the THP Online Community Podcast. hello and welcome to the thp online community podcast this is dallas here your media pastor here at the healing place and i am so glad to be with you guys wherever you're at whether you're driving your car maybe you're relaxing in your home maybe you're at work and you have this playing in the background however it is that we've come to be with you thank you thank you for inviting us to be with you at the opening of our podcast we ask the question what did jesus mean this is a question that you've probably asked yourself a thousand times as you've looked at the bible and you've read certain things you're like what does this mean Today for our podcast, our friend Mike Conaway of Fearless House in Texas is going to bring kind of an answer to that question. Maybe not the answer you were expecting, but the reasoning why it's important for us as believers to ask that very question. What did Jesus mean? I want to encourage you guys to stick around to the end of the podcast where we're going to have some next steps for you guys. We're also going to pray for you wherever you're at. But I really want to encourage you. Try to try to lean in. I know some of you guys. You're maybe you're working. And you're listening to this, or you're driving your car and you can't necessarily take notes. But I really want you guys to lean in and, and listen with uh, the the ears of the Holy Spirit, if you will. That's that's not a biblical term. <laughs> the ears of the Holy Spirit. But I want you guys to really lean in and, and be sensitive. What Holy Spirit has to say to you about this message. And we want to hear from you guys. Reach out to us, mediahub at thpstreeport.com, or or you can reach out to us on any of our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look for THP Shreeport. And let us know what God is saying to you through these messages. How is He challenging you today? All that being said, let's get into today's message.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be with you. And uh, Pastor Scott, uh, boy, what a great pastor. And it's exciting to be in your church studio here. And I really believe that God is going to do something in the next 30 minutes through his word. Um, just to share a little bit about myself real quickly, uh, I've been in ministry a long time, uh, like uh, as a pastor, a senior pastor, 33 years, which is um, over in five different unique decades seven different presidents, two different centuries, and two different millennium. Think about that. It's like I've seen everything in a short period of time in my life, all the transitions that we see in this world. And we've just recently done something in in the United States that is shocking, should be shocking for all of us believers who believe that the church is still important, that it's an answer for the world and that we are the body of Christ, we have dipped below 50%. We're right now at 47% of Americans will attend church uh, two to three times a year or more. Uh, Just 20 years ago, it was 74%. So we're at 47%. So the church world is going down in attendance in America. And I got to tell you, I actually think it's great. (laughs) That sounds terrible, but I really do. I think it's great. Because, you know, sometimes religion is just played out in our lives, um, and we start thinking things like, uh, you know, that the nation is going down if church attendance is going down. But I want to just challenge us in one thought, and it, it comes to the message that I want to share with you today, which is this. When Jesus showed up on planet Earth, the Bible says he came at the fullness of time, or you could say it this way, a simple way of saying it, it's like in the perfect time. With humanity. And Rome had just conquered the known world uh, 60 years earlier. In fact, when Jesus showed up on the scene, nobody he knew would have have known Israel to be free. Like they would have all been born into a form of slavery. So all the disciples, uh, uh, Mary and Joseph, his mom and dad, uh, would have all been born into a nation that was in captivity. So it was a real dark time. But There was 100% church attendance. Do you think about that? So the darkest time spiritually in history, Jesus shows up not only into a dark place in terms of the Roman Empire taking control with paganism, but Israel was, you know, everyone went to synagogue. You know, to say it plainly, everybody showed up on Sabbath day. There was no getting out of that. So it was 100% church attendance, and yet it was dark spiritually. So you could have 100% church attendance in America, and it wouldn't move the needle at all spiritually. Because it's not just church attendance that matters. It's you and I being radically changed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so I like the idea that America's being challenged, and to some extent, sin is abounding. And I had this, I think, really a prophetic thought the other day uh, that I think is truly a biblical thought, which is wherever sin abounds, the Bible says this, grace abounds all the more. And so the church, you know, we we challenge people. I think we should. I think there's a certain moral standard to, to life. And the church overall, not everyone does the same job, but overall, the church has a standard. It's called the Word of God. But even in the secular world, with secular humanism, I've noticed that they've become moral as well. It's a weird kind of morality. It's not Christian morality. And I'm not saying it's correct morality but it is, a, it is a type of morality. In fact, if you don't do what certain people tell you to do in life now concerning you know any imaginable issue that is non-Christian, they have a conviction and you're the sinner now. So so, it, it's so strange that not only does the church talk about what's right and what's wrong, now the world has a different set of right and wrongs. And you might think, well, our right and wrongs are correct and theirs are wrong. And the answer is it doesn't really matter because What's happening with people is they're being confronted with their failure, whether it's the world confronting them. And again, I don't even agree with their moral standards, but they still have ideas of how you should behave. And the church, of course, which has the right moral standards, has an idea on how you should behave. And what eventually happens with people when they start feeling like they can't be perfect in and of their own strength, they can't do it on their own, regardless of who's accusing them, the devil, or if God's convicting them, all of it is highlighting sin. And the reason why I say that is it says it in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Corinthians. It actually says this, that the law itself in the Old Testament was given to help us understand or to highlight, like a schoolmaster teaching us, how much we fail in life. And so the world is doing it to us right now, the church is doing it to us right now, sin is abounding. Our awareness of sin is abounding. And when that happens, revival always follows because God answers that. Because the world can only handle so much pressure in terms of being terrible as a person. I mean, think about the news right now. You're always terrible for some reason. You're either a racist or you're somebody that um, uh, uh, is doing the wrong thing with how you wear a mask Or, you know, you're evil if you take a vaccine, or you're evil if you don't. It's like, whether it's the world, politics, or the church, sin is being highlighted. And grace always abounds to meet the need of us human beings, which is, you know, man, we can't be failures in everything. So God gives us a way out, and it's a supernatural way out. It's a way out that has nothing to do with us and it's called grace, and that's what grace does. It meets the need of a human being. Uh, You can only live as a failure for so long. I've been pastoring for a long time, so if a couple comes to me and they've gone through some struggles in their marriage, I don't just sit there and hammer them about how bad they are. We address the issue, but then we pray and we believe and we start getting involved with bringing grace and love back into the relationship. Why? Because the marriage can't succeed and be healed unless grace abounds more than the sin and the failure. Even if the sin and the failure is real, they still need some escape from the pressure of sin weighting them down. Nobody can live under that. And in fact, people don't. They're like walking zombies. If they don't have the grace of God in their life, I think that's why people like zombie movies. You ever wonder why a person would watch a zombie movie? It always was amazing to me that people go to a movie theater and have zombies— which are crazy, because zombies, when I was a kid, were really slow. It's a different, you know, it's a different time. And, and you could basically, unless you got trapped in a house and they were surrounding you, you pretty much could just walk around a zombie. And uh, eventually zombies became incredibly fast and could scale any wall. I mean, the, 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 the zombie changed as time changed. Why are zombie movies or scary movies? What, what's going on there? And the reality of it is, is human beings know that you can be alive and be dead at the same time. We all know that. And so a zombie movie is just something telling us about the spiritual condition of all human beings without Christ. You can be alive and yet dead. You can be married and not really have a marriage. You can go to church and not really be walking with God. And so I want to challenge us. And and I have a shirt on. In fact, it's... Uh, what I'm teaching at the live service and, and, and about ready to share with you. And it's, it just says, what did Jesus mean? And Jesus is uh, always challenging us to kind of draw deeper because it's not enough for him to just be involved with a religious experience or to be the leader of our religious team. He's actually after a deep, dynamic relationship. So much so that the way the Bible describes it is that he is not just okay with kind of being part of our life. He literally wants to be in our life, like literally in our life. And the Christian experience isn't one of just going to church, although I'm a pastor, so I'm into church. I like church. I'm I'm not cynical about the church. Uh, But it's more than that. It's this deep relationship where two become one. In fact, it's it's described in the in the New Testament as a as a marriage, where Jesus is like a groom and the church is like a bride. That's what it's described like. And when you get married, like I'm married to the beautiful Lisa Conaway, literally in our vows they shared that idea of two becoming one. That's what happens in marriage. And two become one in a way that allows that couple to not just live happy lives because the Bible isn't promising happiness all the time because sometimes you can go through some hell. So that's not happy. But it does want you to be fulfilled. And fulfillment needs sacrifice. Fulfillment needs servanthood. Fulfillment is deeper than happiness. God isn't just trying to get you happy, although happiness, again, is awesome. And I pray that you're happy. I I like happiness myself. But uh, Paul was in prison, probably didn't make him happy to be there, but he was fulfilled. Now, I want you to think about what that means. It means to be full and filled. That's exactly what Jesus was saying when he told his disciples, hey, don't go anywhere and start preaching about me until you're filled fully with my spirit. Why? Because then God can get in you. And so he's not just the God of the sky. Jesus said it this way, the kingdom of God doesn't just come by observation. It's not just over there or over there. That's the wrong way to think about the kingdom or to think about the king of the kingdom. The kingdom of God comes from within. That means that technically speaking, like doctrinally speaking, it's so cool. The Holy Spirit comes in you when you accept Jesus as your Lord. You step down off the throne of your heart. Because let's be honest, we make terrible lords of our own life. So we step down from that lordship and we ask Jesus, by his spirit, to sit on that throne. And his spirit and our spirit literally merge to become one new spirit. That's why the Bible actually says you're a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. It's not just an ethereal thought, it really means it. If you were to strip my human flesh off my body and you could just see my spirit, Before I was a Christian, it would be like a dead or dormant type of spirit. It wouldn't be full of life. After I give my life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in, and my spirit and his spirit connect. Jesus said it this way, like, um, it was almost like a a riddle. If, If you're in me, and I'm in the Father, then the Father's in you, And it's like a little bit of a tongue twister, but the reality, he's just simply saying this, that when my Holy Spirit is in you, the way you become alive in Christ is he literally becomes one with you, making you a brand new type of creation, like a brand new type of creation, like the world's not even seen this type of creation before. And it's because it's not just God in you, but it is God completely connected to you. You are part of the kingdom. And this is really important because what I'm going to share with you today, and I've just got about 25 minutes left, and get on and share this with people and let people know. And if, you've got, if you need prayer, get on and just prayer requests. Prayer requests me to the point where it takes my entire trip here. i got to pray for you. I'm into this stuff. And I want to just say this because Jesus did some, some things to bring us into deep with him. Uh, I'm old enough, like I shared with you, I'm 60 now, and I've been pastoring since I was 27. I'm old enough to remember when the seeker-sensitive movement came in. And it was churches trying to do a good job with reaching out to people who didn't know much about Jesus. So we just tried to make everything kind of friendly for the non-believer or for the new believer, which is awesome to do. But eventually, if you're not careful, a culture could form around that where everyone just stays a baby Christian. And I've been married 38 years, and so the last thing I want to be is just the guy my wife married 38 years ago. i had to grow and evolve. Why? Because I'm married to a real woman who needed me to change and grow up and become more mature and become more intimate. And then over time, think about it. If you've been married 38 years, well, we were married in our 20s, then our 30s, then our 40s, then our 50s. Now I'm 60 everything changes. It's different. It has to mature with kids and then grandkids and then churches and more people in our lives. And it demands a maturity from us. So it's not enough just to have a culture of staying a baby Christian. No, we're called to the deep. We're called to a deep relationship. Just like my wife, Lisa, she desires a deeper and deeper relationship with me year after year after year. If I give up on that, my marriage will begin to fail. It's actually the pressing in of learning and caring about each other that actually makes the relationship deep and fulfilled. So Jesus was always trying to attract us to the deep, always trying to get us to go deeper. And he was with his disciples, wasn't he? Always training, teaching, getting them ready. Why? Because they were going to have to grow up from men that were in their late teens and early 20s when they started following him to men that would literally change the world forever. They had to grow, and to grow up, and to mature, and to have access to his spirit so they could keep maturing and growing. And that's what we're all called to. We're called to this deep growth. So let me give you a few ideas here. First of all, uh, um, I get the chance a lot to speak at different Bible colleges around the country, and around the world, actually. And I have a little bit of a theological background, and don't I, I remind myself of what Billy Graham once said, uh, that he taught so simple that even the doctors and lawyers could understand. So I don't get too caught up in my theological background, but let me give you a little theology. Um, in going to these different Bible colleges, I ask one question. Uh, it's my opening question always. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Why? And and the answer is always the same. So I'm I'm assuming that pastors have taught this and a lot of people have taught this, because the answer always seems to be the same. So, I, you know, why did Jesus teach in parables? And most of us, including you, might, you might think, hey, well, to make it simple, to make it easy to understand. And in fact, it couldn't be any more different than that. It's actually not to make things easy to understand. And we know that because Jesus told us exactly why he taught in parables. In fact, his disciples asked him, hey, why are you always teaching in parables? And Jesus said "Said this. He said, So that seeing, people cannot see, and hearing, people cannot hear. Because at any time, if they ever really saw or heard, their hearts would be converted. Now, Jesus actually said, I teach in parables so they can't hear, so that they can't see, and so they can't understand. That's crazy. What did Jesus mean? (laughs) I mean, why would he say that? Well, remember, his disciples came to him all the time saying, what in the world are you talking about? So obviously parables were not intended, even though they may have used common language about fishermen or about, uh, about treasure or about harvesting. The parable wasn't that easy to understand, and his own disciples often didn't even get it at all. One time Jesus said this to him. He said, hey, you know, I don't tell everyone what these parables mean, but I'll tell you. I'll tell you guys. I'll give you the inside track. So why tell people something that they don't get? And it's really simple. Because it makes them seek the deeper things. And so that even after Jesus would depart from sharing a message with people, people would ponder and think. It would force them to think, to pray, to think, to meditate on what did that mean. And when they got the aha moment, It was no longer just a person telling them what to believe. But when you get an aha moment for yourself, you know why you believe it. It's now your revelation. You believe it. That's why the Holy Spirit, by the way, is on the inside of you and part of you, so that when truth calls to you, it's not just some preacher telling you, this is what we believe and this is what's right. No, you get it, and once you get it, nobody can take it away from you. You own the truth. And that's what deep relationship needs. My wife and I actually truly love each other. It's been tested. It's been proven. We keep pushing our limits of how we can learn and grow with each other, and it's worth doing that. Why? Because it's a fulfilled relationship, even though there's struggles, even though there's challenges. I mean, I've been pastoring for most of the time I've been married. Only five years of marriage were we not pastoring. For the next 33, we are pastoring together. That's hard. It's difficult. If you've ever been offended at a pastor or a church, times that, times a thousand, and that's the pastor's side, (laughs) because there's just one of him to be offended at, but the pastor has everyone else who can be sharing things, saying things, being negative, so pastors get offended as well. How did we get through all that? By truly knowing who we were in Christ. Now, let me give you some ideas. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount uh, is what we call it. It's really just simply Jesus taking people out of synagogue because normally it was his habit to go to church. That's what the Bible says. It was his habit to teach in the synagogue. But he took them out of that environment into a different environment. Still church, isn't it? Because they're still gathering. And there were so many of them anyway. There was like 5,000 plus. So they couldn't fit into the church anyway. So he takes them to a mountain. And it's not really that big of a mountain. We call it a mountain, but, you know, if you've ever been there, you know it's not that big. It's kind of like a a big hill. And he positions himself so they can all hear him. He's up here, they're all down here, and now he's going to take them to a different format for church. Why? Because sometimes it's important to change the atmosphere because if you hear something and you don't hear it in a way that you can receive it, it doesn't really matter how profound it was it matters whether you receive it it's not who the best preacher is man if you go to a church and the preacher's not that great but you're hungry for the word that's a thousand times better than the preacher being the greatest preacher to ever live but you're not hungry for the word see the person with the preacher's not that great will learn a lot more because they desire to learn it cuz it's the holy spirit that's really teaching us anyway i'm just opening my mouth And then the Holy Spirit, deep, what's inside of me, crying out to deep, what's inside of you, will begin to teach you. In fact, really good teaching is when we're teaching and it gets your mind thinking and God begins to speak to you, even outside of the message that you're listening to. Why? Because ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit at work in us. So Jesus grabs all these people, he kind of brings them together, and he starts to teach and the sermon on the mount Matthew 5 6 and 7 is the largest portion of scripture in all of the 66 books of the Bible where one person gets to talk uninterrupted and it's powerful because if you think about it Jesus is the greatest communicator of all time and he is going to he's going to create in three chapters a paradigm shift of these people that are really peasants to middle class they're not the elite. They're just regular people. And he begins to teach them. And in one place, the Bible says this, that they said this of Jesus, you teach like one who has authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. So they were in synagogue. They were raised in Judaism. They were raised with the, with the word of God. And yet they saw their teachers as people who didn't have authority. All of a sudden, Jesus comes along, and they listen to him, and they go, wow, you seem to have power and authority that they don't have. You're teaching from the same book. You're using the same words. Remember, Jesus didn't throw the Old Testament out. He said this is exactly what he was teaching from. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount is just him saying, you've heard it said this way. Let me say the same thing this way. That's all it is. And why is it? They saw him as having more authority. And here's the real simple answer because when he spoke, the authority was transferred to them. They, for the first time ever, felt empowered by the word of God. It built faith in them instead of just a bunch of rules and regulations that they had to do to be right in their society. It did something dynamic on the inside of who they were as people. So, Chapter 5 is best known for the Beatitudes, and I've got a few of them here. There's a bunch of them. It says this, um, Jesus' disciples gathered around him, plus all these other thousands of people, and he began to teach. And he said, blessed are those who depend only on him. They belong to the kingdom of God. The King James would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. So blessed are you if you're poor. Poor in spirit, poor. I've had some people tell me, well, you know, it means poor in spirit, not poor. No, it just means poor. He's just saying, hey, guys, pretty much all you guys are poor, <laughs> right? I'm talking to poor people now. This isn't the rich church. This is the peasant church right here. And he's and looking at him. He goes, blessed are you if you're poor. And then he goes on to say things like, uh, blessed if people rev- you're blessed if people revile you and say all manners of evil against you. And he gives a bunch of them, and he could have given 20 more. I mean, really, he's just just grabbing a bunch of things that these people are going through. Everyone's felt reviled. Everyone's felt condemned at times. Most of you feel like you're not worth much, and I'm calling you blessed. So the first thing he does in this sermon is say to people, you're valuable. You're important. And we know that because right after these Beatitudes, he says, you're salt and light. You need to be like a city set up on a hill. You're important to this world. People need to see God in you. And, and he's talking to everyday people that when they think of God's stuff, they think of that guy over there, at that place over there. He's the minister, he's the Pharisee, he's the teacher, he's the guy who does the, does the God stuff. I'm a fisherman, I'm a mom. I'm a nobody, I don't make much money, nobody's turning their head looking at me as important, I'm not really that valuable, and Jesus brings them value. They're valuable to him, and that gives them a sense of authority in life. Jesus gives what he has, authority, to everyday people. Not just his own disciples, but anybody he got around, he valued them. There's a woman who's a Samaritan later on in the, the Gospels, and uh, Jesus' disciples went ahead on purpose. Jesus sent them away, and Jesus is now by himself at a well, uh, and this well is kind of a famous one. You know, wells were pretty important in their day. It's, they're maybe the town's only source of clean water, and this one was a famous well. And this lady's up all by herself at this well, and... Jesus is sitting near it, and he looks at her, and he says, hey, bring me some water. Now, this isn't Jesus telling this woman what to do. This is Jesus actually looking at a woman. The story is called the Samaritan woman. True story, not a parable. This actually happened. And this woman is a woman that, I don't know how to say it, but I think we can relate to it in our nation. There are race relationships that are struggling, even in that time. Why? Well, racism is a spiritual thing. That's why no law has ever really been able to eradicate racism because it's the sin of a man's heart to dominate another human being and to look down on another human being. And so this woman is a Samaritan, and to a Jewish man, um, she would have been a nothing. And not only that, the law said, the the religious law, you're not even supposed to touch something she's touched because she's an unclean woman and you're a Jew. She's a woman, and you're a man. You shouldn't even touch anything she's had her hand on, let alone put it to your mouth. And what does he do? First thing he does is he values her. In other words, here's what he's saying. Hey, woman, you have something I need. You have something of value to me. And she's shocked, actually. That's the way the Bible describes the scene. She's like, this is weird. I've got this Jewish guy who's probably, he looked like a rabbi to most people, so he's like an important-looking Jewish guy, and she's like, what? We don't get along. We're not supposed to even be able to talk, let alone me give you something, and you put that to your mouth, and he begins to form this dialogue of valuing her, and as they're talking, eventually it gets to the point where he even kind of confronts her about some sin in her life. She's been married, and she's living with a guy now, and she's had a bunch of guys you know, that she's been married to, and and it's not necessarily flattering. But because he valued her first, she opened up her heart. It's the best way to minister, by the way. If you don't value people and care about people, why would they listen to you? That's a message for the church, isn't it? You can't just always be doing this to people. But in a very real sense, eventually we've got to get to the point where we say, hey, you can't keep doing that. Right? I mean, that's not okay. But if they don't think you love them and care about them, why would they listen to you? So Jesus did something. Again, he's always empowering, always adding value to people, always making people feel exactly what he knows to be true, that their value is higher than even they see. Um. I was in Nordstrom's Cafe. I'm a Seattleite. That's where I was born and raised. And that's where Nordstrom's is originally from. And I pastored there for years. And I just led a businessman to the Lord, very wealthy businessman. And he was just on fire for God, just in love with Jesus. And we're sitting there um, at a table uh, at lunch at the cafe, and the place is packed. And uh, unfortunately, I am a preacher, so I'm loud all the time. My wife's always like, hey, dude, back off. We're in a restaurant. You know, you can hear my voice everywhere. And Seattle's not exactly like, Seattle's confrontational. Like if you're talking about Jesus, people might confront you about it. And, and this guy's very, very, he's an empowered millionaire. And he was a pretty young guy. And uh, so he's just being real loud. And he starts asking me some questions about why Christians don't seem to value people. He, he had noticed that. He goes, like, Christians always put people down. And he's just coming to my church, you know, he's a new Christian. And he was just wondering, it was a very honest question. I said, ah, that's such a shame because, you know, God values people. And here's how I described it to him. I said, you know, uh, uh, there was a famous baseball hit by a baseball player that sold for $70,000. Now it's probably worth more uh, because it was his 700th home run. And so a kid caught it. And I think the baseball guy bought it back from the kid. And then it that it was auctioned off for something. And they got $70,000 for a stupid baseball. It's just a baseball. Um, and then I said, there's a painting at that time that had been recently sold. And it was a painting by Van Gogh. And it was his self-portrait. I've seen the actual painting. It's about this big. And it sold for $100 million. And uh, I don't care how good the painting is, $100 million. I mean, think about the house you could buy for $100 million. You could buy like a, a mansion... That, it, that is mind-blowing for $100 million. And, uh, and this is a little painting. And my dad taught me something when I was a kid. He said, you know, Michael, something is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. And it came from a story where I wanted to sell some of my toys, but they, they weren't worth anything, even though he spent more on it than that. I wanted to sell them. And he laughed at me. He goes, you know, nobody's going to buy those. And I said, yeah, they will. He goes, well... They'll be worth exactly what somebody's willing to pay for. Them. It's a great thought. So, you know, we know that that Van Gogh's really worth $100 million. In fact, now it's probably worth $200 million. Why? Because the price was set. Once the price is set, doesn't matter what it is, that becomes its value. So I asked him the question, what price was paid for you by God? He goes, oh, man, I guess he gave his only son that was the price. I said, yeah, that is technically the price. The Bible actually uses the word redemption for a reason. It's like a word, like if I was to get a ticket and that ticket won $50 and I turn the ticket in, I'm redeeming the $50 with the ticket. It's actually a purchase thing. The Bible even says that you are purchased. It says it that way for good reason because it sets your value. That's how much you're worth. You're worth the life of Christ. He could have paid anything. He could have maybe given the life of a couple angels or maybe dug some of the transparent gold off the streets, right? You know, and said, okay, this is what we're going to pay for people. This is the ransom. Since the devil seemed to give, have an ownership, according to the word of God, over humanity, Jesus is actually going to pay a price, his own life, to purchase back the rights of humanity. It's, it's that simple. And that's your value. His name was Danny. and He said, wow, I never even thought of it. He's a business guy. He's a money guy. At that time, a couple little old ladies came walking up to me. I say little old ladies. They're probably my age now. <laughs> so, you know, they, to me back then, they were, I was probably in my mid-30s. They looked like older ladies. Although I have noticed sometimes there are some church people that look a lot older than they really are. It's like a bad style, bad church style or something. And uh, like the Dana Carvey church, church lady, uh, you know, with the, you know, so looked like they'd been baptized in lemon juice, you know, that kind of person. Uh, and that kind of person walked up. It was two of them. And, and they started yelling at me in the Nordstrom's Cafe in front of everyone. In front of everyone, I mean, literally yelling, and they were pointing at my friend Danny, who was coming to my church. I just led him to the Lord, and uh, and they're they're pointing at him, going, "You are not worth that much. You are not worth that much." And she said, "My husband is a is an associate pastor. I didn't even tell him I was a pastor." And 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 you are not worth that much. That is that is false. You are not. You are just a human being. You are not worth that much. And and Danny looks at me, and he goes, "Wow." And he, these people are like, here. And he, he just ignores me. He goes, I totally see what you're saying. This is what I was telling you about, Pastor. I've noticed many Christians devalue people. They look down on people. And, I say, and I'm, I'm not even paying attention to these ladies. And, I, and they're still kind of yelling at us. I said, Danny, it's because they only see you through your sin. But God sees you through the eyes of his son you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And the lady literally said, you are not the righteousness. And I said, I am sorry. All I did was just quote the word of God exactly. And then she just turned around and walked off with her friend, shaking her head. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's going on in Christianity? What it is, is that many Christians have not gone deep enough with Jesus to realize That it's not enough just to hear something about who you are. It's not enough just to see something. But by really hearing and really seeing, your heart can really be converted. And you can really change on the inside out. And so now you start living a life from the inside out instead of what most people are doing, which is just simply responding to all the outside things that are coming at them through life. And they're just responders. And that's their entire walk with God, help me with this, because this is happening. Help me with that, because this is happening. And they don't even realize that really what's going on, what Jesus was really trying to say in Matthew chapter 5 was, hey, the scribes and the Pharisees are doing this all the time. But what I'm doing is this. Come. Let's reason together. Let me teach you my ways. You are valuable to my heavenly Father, and I'm going to give my life for you. And it's going to set your value forever. And then, when you're at that place, and you truly know who you are, it doesn't lead to pride. Just the opposite. It leads to you being responsible to be in salt and light. It's kind of like becoming a mom and dad. It's like all of a sudden you realize, I'm on this planet for something other than just myself now. And that's the same thing that Jesus and the Father, the Father and the Son, are teaching humanity The lesson of transferring authority to another generation, to a friend, whatever God has given you, learning, you have the power now to give that away. God bless you. I want to pray for you, and I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would just be powerful on the inside of you. Father, right now, do a mighty work within every person that's listening to my voice, a supernatural work. Maybe we need to step down off the throne of our own heart. I mean, just to say it out loud, if I step down off the throne of my own heart, Jesus, I ask you to sit on that throne by your Holy Spirit, to live within me, and then begin to guide me and lead me and call me to a deeper relationship with you day by day. And in that, Lord, I'll become salt and light, valuable to this world. And Lord, I thank you that you put me in this time, in this hour, in the crazy world we live in right now, because you knew and you could entrust each of us to be important people in the world we live in, to share your love, your light, your gospel, and to see people transformed and empowered from on high. In Jesus' mighty
0: name, amen and amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking time to listen to today's podcast. We hope it's encouraged you, it's challenged you. Maybe it's stirred something up inside of you that says, you know what Dallas, I need to take a next step. I need to make a next movement in my life that leads to what God has for me. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you through that next step, whatever it is reach out to us. You can email us mediahub at thpstreetport.com or reach out to us on any of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look for THP streetport. Why? Because we love you because we genuinely care about you. We're not just throwing these podcasts out there for just for the fun of it. Believe me, there's a lot of other things we can do. We do this because we believe this is reaching you here and right now, wherever you're at. We believe that you have discovered this podcast, however it is, for a reason, for a purpose. And we at The Healing Place want to walk with you and help you through what God has for you. So let us pray with you. Let us encourage you because you matter to us. You matter to us because you matter to the King. You have value in the eyes of Jesus. And because you have value in the eyes of Jesus, as Christians, as believers of Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, we strive to have the mind of Christ. You, my friend, have value to us. So let me pray with you guys real quick. Lord, I thank you for your presence and your grace. I thank you for opportunity to come together in this space, through this podcast. And I thank you for the opportunity to pray for the person that's listening to this right now. Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to stir up inside them. And let them know that you love them. Let them know that you care about them. That they have value. And no matter what has happened in the past, no matter what everyone else has said about them, no matter the things that have been thrown at them from left to right, Lord, that you pierce through all that. You see them and you call them son. You call them daughter. Holy Spirit, I pray for healing to take place in the lives of the individuals who are listening to this right now. I pray for supernatural peace to become abounding inside of them. I pray that when they finish listening to this podcast, there is literal, just physical change about them, that there's a there's a light in their eyes that maybe wasn't there before. And I pray, Lord, that as they walk out the message you have for them today, as you they walk out what you've given them from today's message, that they will point others to you that you will be glorified through their actions through their words that people will come to know the saving grace and the love of our father through them. we thank you for these things in the name of jesus amen like i said, guys thank you so much for listening to us hey do us a favor if this has encouraged you maybe it's challenged you share this out share this podcast with other people Also do us a favor and leave a review at Apple Podcasts. It helps to kind of get the word out, let people know what the Healing Place podcast is all about. If you go to the show notes down below, you'll see a link to our social media and also to our website, thpsreeport.com, which is kind of a central hub for basically everything that takes place here at the Healing Place. So go check that out. Also on our show notes today, we have a link to Fearless House's website. So, uh, you know, maybe you want to connect with Mike click the link. Go check him out. He's got some amazing stuff, some great teachings, and his church is doing some amazing things out there in Texas. All that being said, until next time, have a great week.